Welcome to The Kindness Project, the podcast designed to share stories of kindness and share how kindness can make positive change in our world, one small act at a time. In this week's episode of The Kindness Project, we talk about stickers, tattoos, and we have part one of our interview with Nikki Schuster from Renew Counselling Limited. Welcome to The Kindness Project. I am your host, co-host, along with my two other co-hosts, Starbucks drinking orca man, uh, Russell Dames, and orca loving Starbucks drinking Charlotte Dames. Uh, how are we, lady and gents? I think you should Good. add some context to that. Add some content. I'll let Charlotte explain. I got myself a plain water bottle because I, I have a lot of stickers that I just don't use. Uh, and I thought it's high time I use them. I left me last water bottle behind somewhere. Um, and so I got myself a plain water bottle, you know, the kind. Um, and I started putting me stickers on it. And I found where were you one. getting your stickers? That's exactly you what I was going to ask. Okay, so uh, some of them were free. You just pick them up at cons and stuff, and you pocket them right. and you put them aside. Some of them I bought for projects, so I had some stickers left over from a birthday present I put together for a friend. And some of them I ordered for myself and then get anxious about putting them in the wrong place so they never get used. Why? And like I start like going, oh, what if it's wrong? What if I don't like it? What if it gets stuck and it looks wrong? Um, and then I don't Sorry. Use them. I, I mean, right, let me just understand something. What sort of first world problem nonsense? Yeah. Anxious about where your stickers go. Well, you can, there's only you only get one, okay. And if you put it in the wrong place, it's expensive to buy sticker sheets. All right. Okay. How much is a sticker sheet? Like four quid, and then you. No, that's a lot. Right. Right. That is, uh, I mean, that is, I wouldn't spend that on stickers. That's and a, you get that's like. A, you how get many like, stickers you get for four quid? Well, you that's get a, like eight about that size. Right, you that's do realise we are on a podcast, yeah? Uh, yeah, like the size of like the the size of a knuckle, um, or what have I got around? Like I was gonna say, yeah. Why are they so, so expensive? Because someone has to graphic design them, and then they have to print them, and then they have to post oh. them, and then they have to, you know, make a profit. Yeah, exactly. And some of them are waterproof, so they, that makes them more expensive. Yeah. Um, so who who's been drawing uh, Orca's drinking Starbucks? I actually got that one for free. Don't remember where I picked that one up. Um, when I go to cons, I will just like if they've got freebie stickers, I'm like, yeah, I like that. I love it. I don't yeah. even care if I like it or not. I'm not taking it if it's free. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you get as anxious as the on the free stickers as you do on the? I pages? do. Yeah, I do. Well, that makes no sense, did it? No, because, for nothing. because it's often like you can only take one for free, and now it's like I've got one. Ah, and if right. I misuse it, I won't have it anymore, and I can't Understand. go back. I completely and absolutely understand. I don't That's think good, I've, <laughs> I don't. Russell, on the other hand, <laughs> doesn't understand at all. Would you? I mean, I, I've had. Um, Sticker anxiety because we used to when we were kids, right? Our stickers were big business, weren't they? Yeah. Do you remember the Do you remember the Panini sticker books? Yeah, I books? 
I don't. What else did I use to have in the? They still, they still recycle their memory well cup, don't they? Yeah, they do. And and what else did they used to do in in stickers? Let me think. They used to do a lot of cards. Like yeah. we never had baseball cards in the UK, did we? But we have like oh, Pokemon. I, I was never into Pokemon. I was. No, no, I was never into Pokemon. Um, I, I, was... I love a, I love a, I love a trading card game. I love them so much. Well, but but back in the day, there were cards we used to swap at school and stuff like that. Sticker books. I had a bit of sticker book for everything when we was growing up. Mm. Yeah, they did. I mean, we had top trumps when we were growing up. Um, but we also had this one called the Garbage Pal Kids. Do you remember that, Russ? No. Oh, right, Charlotte, you gave me an interesting look there. Google the Garbage Pal Kids. Because it was will. the time. Not now, because you're on a podcast. <laughs> clearly. I remember the Garbage Patch Kids. Was it Garbage Patch? I can't remember. But they were all like, they were designed for like 10 or 11 year olds. So they're all the most disgusting things. Yeah, um, oh, like, yeah, I remember. What were they called? Were they, I think they, they used garbage. to get, get them in tubs of slime and all that, didn't you? Not my bunch, right? I've got them in the back here. The Garbage Pale Kids is a series of sticker trading cards produced by the Tops Company exactly. as a parody to the Cabbage Patch Kids. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so it was a, it, it was a like subversive way to because um, I think the Cabbage Patch Kids were quite sweet, but the uh, the Garbage yeah. Pale Kids were all uh, all a bit gruesome. But you know, when you're eleven. Quite like that sort of stuff. No, no, there's something Sorry. about the play. Did you when in Rome? <laughs> when you're a kid, you play with kid stuff. You do. You do. No, there's there's something about like stickers that like knowing that if it goes wrong, it's not always fixable. Like, um, do you remember the library reading challenge? Maybe Sophie still does it. Uh, I don't actually. She might have aged out of it now, but. They, when they gave us stickers, I was like, I've got to place it perfect first time. Mm. If we get stuck, I'm going to be yeah. so upset. And there's always a, there's always like a little hole for your sticker, isn't there? Mm, that you've yeah. got to like perfectly place. Otherwise, otherwise, if you get out of place, it's like, oh no. <laughs> um, That's why I'm waking up half an hour at night and noticing you've got a towel. How often have you done that, Russ? I haven't. I haven't got a towel. I don't I, like tattoos or piercings. I, sorry, how do you know you don't like tattoos or piercings? I, think I, just, I just don't like the way they look. No, but this is the thing. I don't like tattoos or piercings, but I think you'd look amazing with a nose ring. <laughs> you know, Kenny's wearing, wearing these little earrings. Right. Right. Uh, to keep the hole in her ear open or something. Right, yeah, okay. Yeah. You got it. Um, um, she told me about it, but I wasn't listening properly. <laughs> Russ! <laughs> Have any relationship, Russ? Anyway. Maybe you need an hole in your ear. I've lost count of the amount of times I've said to her, I can't stand them. You're going to have to take them out. But, 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 Russell, Russell. We live in 2023 when people have got autonomy I'd, and decision-making to choose what they do with their bodies. Listen. Charlotte, I'm saying that, and I know you're an adult now, but 
but do not get a tattoo, all right? Just, just one, just one little oh, one. Oh no. Just one little one. I I always seem I always seem to think that like when I'm 80, I might change my mind about to 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 and get like a little one, but I don't think I will to be honest. I've just I've I've never seen the point of a tattoo. Do, do you know what the trouble for me is? I'm a big lad. And if I ever decide to lose weight, it's going to go wrinkly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I mean, you could have it on your arm here or somewhere. It'd still go wrinkly, wouldn't it? Because as you lose weight, the skin shrinks. And, and it go, you go saggy, don't you? Even in the arms. You, I mean, you can. You can. I mean, you can do stuff like you can do exercises to try and minimise it. But it does happen. Yeah, you're right. Um, so, when you get this nose ring, Matt, I'm not. Um, what can we nipple ring? Would you go for a nipple ring? <laughs> well, if, if we're ever all together again, we well, could clearly a, we will be at some point. <laughs> won't we? we could do a bit of a grace night, couldn't we? You could uh, rizzo me and pierce me ears. Yes. Let's do, let's just, do just sl- one. Just one little stud. No, no stud. No, no stud for us. No. no stud for us. Anyway, um, on that news, on that note, let's... Uh, on, that as, <laughs> <laughs> on that here, um, let's uh, move on. Um, we, are, we have decided that Russ needs a... What were you saying? Eyebrow piercing, Charlotte? No, are we going no. eyebrow, nose, ear... Both ears or lip? Just one ear. Um, Mum's making things. I'm not talking about that on the podcast. Anyway, um, uh, just lip, yeah? No. One ear. Not going to happen. One ear, but just a giant hoop. No. One of them things they put in that stretches the ear out. Yeah, that's like... Oh, no. See, that, 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 I, uh, I again, again that. it's completely a personal choice, but I, but for me, I've just, you know, I, when people choose, and actually, I do, I have seen tattoos that I do think are quite cool, and they suit the individual involved. Um, no. Um, well, but, well, mum, mum, because mum's got tattoos, hasn't she? She just said mine, and 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 no, there there are people really suit the tattoo, and I think it looks alright on them. Um, but for me personally, um, I, I I I I don't know what would ever sort of incentivise me to have a tattoo. Not even a fight this project, You wouldn't have Tizzy and across your your hand or something. <laughs> Kiss the hand across my hand. No, kiss, kiss the, the end. end. Well, only, only if I was going to get my hand chopped off. <laughs> Have you ever been asked that? If like, if if someone said you had to get a tattoo, what tattoo would you get if you had to? Um, a little pimple on me, on me, <laughs> yeah, on, on me bum. <laughs> so, I mean, if if I could choose any tattoo, if I got a little dot on me bum, nobody would see it. Uh, and it wouldn't matter. You could claim it's a mole. I think, yeah, exactly. You could claim it's a mole. Exactly, exactly. But, you know, for people who want to do it, all power to your elbow. What would you have, Russ, if you had to have a toe? Uh, obviously, a picture of you, my overlord and sir. <laughs> Where would you have it? 
an underneath, I'd put, I'm done. <laughs> I'm, right, so you'd have a photo of me. <laughs> Would you have Would you have me wearing a little badge and overlord and sorry, uh, sorry. Where's overlord dames? Where's overlord dames? That's right. Okay, okay. All right, King Christoph. King King Christoph the Third. Um, right, okay. King so we're going, we're going for overlord dames. Okay, <laughs> and and at the bottom you'd have who's saying I'm done? You. Yeah, yeah, me. Would you have a photo of you? Or would no, you no. just say the words on that? Not follow me. Then you're getting into an old arm, ain't you? Oh, you, you're going to have it on the arm? Yeah, I'd have it on the arm. You'd have a photo of me. If well, I you could have gone... Photo. Hold on, you could have gone completely non-obtrusive. You could have gone for, like me, like a little dot or something <laughs> like that. No, you've got that whole arm. You're having a photo of me on your hold arm. On, hold on, hold on. It has to be on the arm, because I'm regularly sitting there slapping my arm when I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> so right. I'm, like I'm slapping you in the mush. <laughs> I can't believe this. I cannot believe this. Charlotte, what are we... <laughs> what would you go for as a tattoo if you had to have one? Um, a little... Have you ever seen the Interrobang? The what? <laughs> the Interrobang? It's uh, the... That's one of my other job titles. <laughs> I'm an overlord in Terrabang. It, it's, <laughs> the, it's the punctuation mark that combines the question mark and the exclamation mark. Is so it? It's is the, it? the question mark with the exclamation mark inside and they share a dot at the bottom. Oh, see, I like that. I like the idea of that. What does it mean, it's terrible? Where would you use it? Enthusiastic question. Oh, well, hold on, I might have to change my mind. <laughs> I don't think anything represents me more better than the Interrobang, and it just... Oh, Charlotte. I might get an Interrobang. <laughs> I quite like an Interrobang. I'm not... I, you go, you, you, you check out the garbage pail kids. I already have. I have a Wikipedia page up right now. <laughs> and I'll, I'll check out the Interrobang. And Raj, you check out how much tattooed on your arms going to cost. And if you ever done, I'll pay for it. All right. Is it spelled I N T R A Bang? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. Ladies and um... gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, listen to the nonsense on this podcast. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. We, yeah. Will, we will put. Their details of both the garbage pal kids <laughs> and in Terrabang and the photo when Russell gets his tattoo of me, like a, all like on the show notes. Nub. Yeah, it's cool, huh? Yeah, I really like, like the symbol. Yeah, amazing. Right, let's talk mug of the week then. Any There's mugs? Not one. This week? I am I've not got any new mugs. I've got a mug of the week. I'm currently drinking tea out of my one of my favorite mugs. Uh, I got it when I was over at the um, Grayson Perry exhibition. Definitely one of my favourite artists. Uh, but do you remember he did a show during lockdown that I got really into called Art Club, Grayson Perry's Art Club? I never watched it. Exhibition. I've heard about it. Yeah, he did an ex exhibition of all of the um, all of the art that people did on Art Club, and then he turned it into merch. That he sold as the uh, he sold downstairs in the um, in the thing, um, and this 
is uh, Chris Whitty, the one of the chief medical officers during the pandemic, and it's his face. And then on the other side, it says Chris Whitty is watching you. And if if that for me fairly represents the pandemic, apparently Mum said to me, Mum has just said to me, Joe Lysett designed it. Um, so yeah, it's all good, Chris Whitty mug. Charlotte's right. drinking a. A coffee at the Starbucks mug. I got it at TK Maxx. <laughs> Hold on, Russ, he's, he's drinking his vodka from a bucket. What? Hold on, I don't. I bet I can guess what Russ is drinking out of. It's one of your coffee. Travel, he loves a travel mug. Rainbow travel mugs with the glitter. No, it's a squeezy bottle. Oh, juice! I'm drinking at the moment. Juice. Yeah. What flavour? Ah, now you're asking. So, we recently... Uh... Yeah, I was asking. Can you tell us? <laughs> Let him tell the story. Let him tell the story. We, we recently started experimenting with our juice. So I used to only Look, have... We do not need to know about you and Kelly's personal life on the podcast, Russ, all right? Uh, I used to only have... I'm not even going to grace that with a response. <laughs> Good on you, Russ. Good on you. I used to have that with... Uh... <laughs> now you've confused me. I used, to to, I used to only have blackcurrant and apple, but then I tried a pineapple, orange, and lemon one. Yes. Right. That as well. What, um, what brand are you going Tesco. for? Tesco. Yeah, Tesco. Tesco, pineapple, lemon, and... Uh, lemon, orange. Orange. Pull deal? No, it's dilutable. Yeah. That's what cold deal was. I thought cold deal was pre-made. Mm-mm. No, you don't know cold deal. Well, yeah, it's, it, it's a cold deal one. Cold deal <laughs> Okay, great. And then on... I don't, I don't recommend buying your cold deal from a corner shop. Why is I've that? Made that? I've made that mistake. Why is that? Uh, I made that mistake and it's just really weak. Yeah. <laughs> No way else I'd recommend the Robinson's Triple Concentrate. Yeah, but the problem is you over, you over, like, I always find I either over dilute or under dilute when it's triple concentrate. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm pouring a double or triple concentrate, I'm pouring the same amount and then, like, putting the same amount of water in and finding the, so it's like a bit of a, that triple concentrate is a bit of a fool's economy because, like, I'm not used to pouring that little, so I don't. Anyway, um, save me from possibly the dullest conversation I've had this month. Um, whoa, about... whoa, whoa. Interesting conversation. One of the most interesting conversations I've had this month. <laughs> you need to have more conversations. Um, uh, on to um, charlottedames.com and what your article is this week. Maps. Go on, tell us a little bit about maps. You know, they used to... They used to carve maps onto mouth tusks. They used to carve maps onto mammoth tusks oh, and bones. They? Yeah, and there's a lot of stuff where they're like, we don't know if it's a map or if it's just a pretty picture that they've carved onto the wall, um, which is really interesting because why can't it be both? But like you know, that could be, couldn't it? Amazing. So find the latest article on maps. 
at charlottedames.com. Uh, there are yep. now, how many articles have you, have you written over the past few years on charlottedames.com? I lost track. I don't actually know how many there are. Um, yeah, well, you know, I started this during the, what, first run of the pandemic? Second run? Yeah. Yeah. So it would have been sometime in 2020, and it's... I don't think I've dropped a week yet. I don't remember dropping a week. No. Um, and let's move on to... News. So the first one is one close to my heart um, because it's about Wrexham Football Club. Now, I've got no actual connection to Wrexham, but I do. One of my favourite shows is uh, of the last year is definitely this is Wrexham. So this is about uh, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney, I want to say, um, and uh, what they've done. Uh, t- to buy, support, and continue to grow Wrexham um, in the past um, in the past couple of years, Wrexham's Hollywood owners Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney have done so much for the club since their takeover in 2020. The club uh, are on the brink. Oh, actually, they're they're not on the brink of promotion anymore. They're actually promoted to lead to after their stellar campaign in the National League this season. Uh, the promotion caps off a brilliant journey with Reynolds and McElhenney working wonders off the pitch. From charitable donations to helping out local teams, here's some of the acts of kindness they've done since taking charge of the Welsh, Welsh side. They donated £6,000 to a disabled Wrexham fan. Diehard Wrexham fan, Aidan Scott, was about cerebral palsy launched a campaign to, in a bid to raise money for a new bar from mechanical, mechanical hoist. Shortly after completing the takeover of the club, Michael Henney donated the full amount of six grand. They donated £10,000 after Jordan, Jordan Davies' baby died. Wrexham midfielder Jordan Davies and his partner Kelsey Edwards tragically lost their baby boy Arthur at birth in December 2021. They launched a campaign to raise money for the stillbirth and neonatal death charity, Sand UK. With Reynolds, McHoney and their partners, Blake Lively and Caitlin Olsen, donated £10,000. They smashed the goal with £1,500 with their generous donation. Help provide kits for a local youth team. Reynolds isn't just looking after the first team as he helped provide kits for a local youth team. FC United have run. Wrexham under 12s were in need of gear and the Wrexham owner donated 1600 to the calls. Hayley Burton, who made the appeal online, said, I'm lost for words and over the moon. Thank you, Ryan, for putting a smile on this team's face if thank you is even enough. Keegan is Wrexham's number one fan. His dad would be made up for him and bursting with, with pride. Buying a round of drinks. Reynolds and McAhelney marked the anniversary of their takeover by delivering a bar tab for 365 GNTs at the Turf Hotel near the club's ground. Just a quick note to thank each and every one of you on our one-year anniversary of the club. The love and adoration for Wrexham FC is unlike anything we've ever seen. That's why we've put up to 365 uh, aviation gin tonics behind the dark bar. Have one on us. Bit of a plug for Ryan Reynolds' uh, <laughs> brand as well. Revamping the club. 
Re Reynolds and McElhenney have bolstered the surroundings in the race course ground, kitting out the new gym. They also have wider plans, which includes building a modern training centre and a new cop stand to hold over 5,000 fans. Um, I, I love the story of Wrexham because they've certainly, over the past few years, been through a bit of a turgid time with ownership and running out of money and stuff like that. And not only did uh, Ryan uh, Reynolds and Rob McAoney bring publicity and like use their celebrity for good and stuff like that. Um, they've all also really like committed to like sort of properly supporting the club. So, so I think, you know, nice guys doing a good thing. Um, uh, and certainly long may the journey for Wrexham uh, continue. The only frustrating thing is I want to go to Wrexham so, to say I've like, seen them and, and like, mm. sort of done that. Can't get a ticket now because it's just so popular. So I'm, I'm hoping that once the new stand's built, uh, we'll, have the, uh, we'll have the opportunity to do that. Charlotte, would you like to do the other news story? Yes, I can. I was worried the video was going to play there. Decades later, unexpected reunion allows student to repay a teacher's kindness. As a hospice social worker for accident care, Pedro Cortez has helped more than 300 patients and their families over the past three years navigate the end of life journey. There are days that I come home that I am mentally, physically and emotionally exhausted, but I never come home and wonder if what I did that day matters. While each and every case is difficult, it uh, is different. It is common for Cortez to form a deep emotional bond with the patient by the end of their time together. That is not the case, however, with Connie Pico. That's because it turns out Cortez and Pico already had a bond. One formed years before, Cortez walks into the 65-year-old's room at Cupertino Healthcare and Wellness Centre. The first clue for Cortez was the name. I was like, Connie Pico, why does that sound so familiar to me? He then discovered that Pico, like him, was from San Jose's east side. Everything came back to him. I asked her, Connie, did you ever work with students for reading? And she said, yes, Cortez said. I said, you were my teacher. And she says, I remember that. Cortez, the son of Mexican immigrants, grew up in a Spanish-speaking home. While his parents stressed the importance of education, he needed someone outside of his family to teach him English. At Dorset Elementary School, Cortez found that person in Pico. I just remember how approachable she was, how warm, loving. I mean, it was like when you wanted to talk to her, she was always so positive and she was always so engaged and willing to listen. Cortez said it was Pico who taught him not just how to read, but how to love reading. It was the foundation of the academic and professional success Cortez has earned since. And now to be able to use all that he has learned to help Connie, it's humbling, Cortez says. I absolutely love that. Absolutely love that. And we all need inspiration in our lives, don't we, from, uh, from certain people. Russ, who's your inspiration? I'm, Where'd I'm you not, get inspiration from? I'm not overly sure, to be honest. <laughs> I, can't, I, I don't really get inspired by people. I get inspired by things. So ideas or... Yeah, like just... Your toilet roll holder or your objects? No, no, not objects. Things I see. So I watch, a, I watch a lot of YouTube. There's a guy on YouTube I'm watching at the moment. 
uh, talks about SAS ideas. And I did, just that sort of stuff inspires me. Okay, so people sharing business ideas and, and, and concepts. What yeah, inspires yeah. you, Charlotte? Um, I love a good story. I love a good story, you know. Um, uh, and I think the people who write the stories are inspiring. That's sort of what I want to do. Um, yeah. You know, it's good. So, so the inspiration of storytelling. Mm -hmm. I love that. Absolutely love that. And on that note, let's move on to the interview this week. We've got Nikki Azusta. Uh, apologies for butchering butchering the pronunciation of apologies of Renew Consulting. Renew do amazing work supporting people with mental health, uh, and certainly I'm glad the conversation around getting support and help with your mental health, particularly with counselling and consulting, is 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 more prominent now than it's ever been. Um, so let's listen to the first part of the interview. Good morning, Nikki. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Yeah. I'm I'm good. Um, but I I'm really excited the fact that normally when I do these interviews from home, I'm the one with a dog in the room. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and today it the the the, the roles are reversed. Be, yeah, the fortunes might be reversed. So <laughs> your dogs look particularly well behaved though. They're not at all. They're not at all. And have you noticed that they kind of know when you wrap up? If I'm working from home and I'm I'm having a conversation and I start moving towards an end, I'm being really careful not to use any of the words now. Yeah. Suddenly the bigger one works out right. She's wrapping up. I can come over and start annoying her now. So Dexter doesn't care when I'm working. He'll just bark. So he's got he's got two main triggers. Number one, at five o'clock, on the dot, every single day, he knows it's dinner time. So regardless of what else is going on, he's barking for his dinner. Um, and then um, if somebody even gets close to the front of the house, so somebody walks down the drive, somebody um, uh, somebody walks past, you know, it doesn't matter how close it is. And I, I, in some ways, you know, it's just them being defensive, well, isn't it? You know, and, and wanting to Well, they're looking after us, aren't yeah. they? They are yeah. looking after us. And, that's, um, and as I said, there's building works going on next door. So I just thought of all days. <laughs> but I've got the blinds down. They can't see. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's um, good. They're that's both good. asleep at the moment. So let's yeah, go. No, no that, that, that's good. How old, are the dog? How old are the dogs? The um the eldest one is six and a half. Okay. And the next one is he's two and a half. I got him as a rescue. Right. So he's been a he's been a bit of a handful. He was, I think, I think he was bought in lockdown by somebody who then couldn't cope with him. So right. We took him, uh, and he has some behavioural issues. <laughs> yeah. I um, I so my my you talk about Zoom experiences from home. Um, I uh, I think I might have told this story in the podcast before, but um, I had a really interesting one. So lockdown happened. <clears throat> we were homeschooling. I was still carrying on, sort of, sort of running the podcast and sort of working in the business and. And, and doing everything we were doing 
Um, and at the start of lockdown one, uh, Sophie just got sent these packs to work on. It wasn't Zoom classrooms at the start of yeah. lockdown one, because I think everybody was in a, in a bit of a state of flux. Um, so we used to go, right, okay, Sophie, do that. I'm going to yeah. go on to the meetings and then we'll come back and check yeah. it. Started my Zoom meeting, brand new client, um, lady who worked for a big tech firm who, who, who wanted some some help. Um, I've looked around 10 minutes into the meeting. Sophie is nowhere to be seen. <laughs> uh, uh, and then uh, about 10 minutes later, uh, I feel a shadow behind me, Nikki, um, and it's Sophie. And I was like, Sophie, are you right? Are you okay? Do you want some help? And then she just went, Dad, have a look at this. And it was just a big clump of mud and dirt she'd got from the garden. Now, I'd never had to react to that in a meeting before. You know, I, I just don't know what to do with that information. And it was like, that's really nice. Thank you for that. And I just, and she just wandered off. Um, and I thought that was like the most awkward um, uh, things that happened to anybody in lockdown. It wasn't. Because I was sending that story to a, um, a solicitor friend of mine. And um, she said she was in this uh, like sort of commercial transaction, quite a serious conversation. And funny enough, she was having some building work done at the time during lockdown, as, as a lot of us did. We were looking around our houses and going, what do we need to improve? Need to do. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, suddenly, it's like she's, she's in the middle of this meeting, sitting at a dining room table, um, and behind her on the Zoom meeting popped out a set of legs. Uh, <laughs> and what had happened is the plumber had fallen through the bathroom, and there's just these legs wobbling behind her. And um, I said, what did you do? You know, like, did you, like, sort of go and help him? She went, no, I just moved the laptop to the sofa and carried him with my meeting. I was like, amazing. Apparently, her husband did go and go and help the, uh, help the brother. But uh, anyway, we're not here to talk about lockdown design. No, no. We're here to talk about Renew. Uh, first, before we start talking about your organisation, tell us a bit about you. Oh, that's that's a story, isn't it? Well, actually, I'm Irish, so happy happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day, yeah. Yes, we all know that is a good excuse for a fun weekend. Um, I say I'm Irish, but my mum was Irish. My dad was Czech-Ukrainian. I was born and brought up in Ireland, and I moved to the UK when I was 20. I worked in publishing. I worked in sales and marketing in publishing for, gosh, I don't know, 12 years, I think, about 12 years. Um yeah. Lots of fun. Um, really, really enjoyed it. And then I started my family and began to be really interested in counselling and psychotherapy. I knew somebody who was training themselves and it was just fascinating, absolutely fascinating. And um my my friend, a very good friend of mine, Paula, um, she used to talk in a very psychological way as well. And I, nobody had ever spoken in that way to me before, but it was really, really fascinating. And then with my children, I just wanted to be a better mum. Yeah. I just wanted to be much, much better. And I remember a leaflet came through the door and it was, if you want to improve your communication with your family, do this introduction to counselling course. So I had a 
two and nine month old, I think. And my son was probably about, I don't know, two months old. And I okay. signed up for an introduction course, which was like one night a week for 12 weeks. Uh, a couple of months later, because he was a little bit older at that time. So my, my, my sister, I think, came and looked after him and my husband while I went off you know and did this course and for the first time in my life I was where I needed to be I I had never felt a real sense of the depth of something and being so intrigued by it and I began training um from that course, I, I went on and I did an advanced diploma and then I did an MA and then I trained in supervision and it just felt like the place I belong. And I felt incredibly passionate about the power of it. Yeah. Obviously, as part of your training, you receive therapy yourself, so yeah. you're able to see the transformative effect of it. So I then started working for renew about 20 years ago oh amazing so so a couple of questions on that that i'm really really interested in firstly how did it change your perspective as a parent and what did you uh what did you learn about yourself that made like that made you a better communicate to the kids i suppose question two is what did it change about you? What insights did you get about you from the experience? Huge amount. Um, and I don't think the podcast could be long enough really to cover um, how impactful it was in my life. Um, I grew up in an era of children should be seen and not heard. Um, I had a mum who had been through significant issues in her life and grew up within the shadow of that. Yeah. And my self-perception wasn't great. Um, and, um, you know, different events happen, but we get on and, and we cope. Um, and then I had children and I remember walking my daughter in a buggy and she was laughing at the, the leaves flickering in the trees and it occurred to me in that moment she is her own person yeah yeah yeah. but I didn't necessarily know what to do with that and doing the work helped me to always see my kids as not mini me's not any of that but their own individuals with individual personalities and that if they were having a problem that wasn't a reflection of my parenting you know, it wasn't all about me, actually, yeah. it was about them. Yeah. So I would say to you, um, it probably was the most luckiest thing that I ever did for my kids, because I dread to think what kind of a parent I would have been if I hadn't done that. Yeah. You know, I, I we're all flawed. I'm certainly not perfect, but I, I certainly do think that one of the the most profound things it taught me was being able to apologize when you get things wrong and being able to talk to your kids when you've messed up yeah and you know it just took the pressure out of it for me you know what i think that's something i've learned through and i write about this in book funny enough like so that job of being a dad is is or or mum uh 
uh, is one of those jobs where, where somebody says, there's this super, super precious thing. Uh, all right, cool. What do I do? Well, you sort of make it up as you go along, and then you, you, do. you learn how your mum and dad did it, and learn, and and you 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 realise that that I mean, number one, I think you realise that as you say, nobody's perfect, and we're we're all sort of trying to trying to get there. But you also realise that you need to do a bit of internal work to make you better, so that you can be a better dad, a better you know, better everything really, uh, and without doing that eternal work you're probably more likely to repeat mistakes that your mum and dad might have made or a hundred percent a hundred percent or you'll end up parenting as a reaction to your own experience so for yeah. instance you you had very strict parents so then you don't give any boundaries to children as a reaction both are equally damaging to the child so by and, and you know we do we're trying to live our lives from within the paper bag we're stuck in and it's really hard sometimes to get perspective isn't it i, I suppose part of the challenge is that going through that transition can be painful can't it and 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 i think people tend to people need the uh, and again i think we'll talk about this a bit later on through some of the questions it's about finding that moment where you go you know what actually it's time for me to get the help absolutely um, and it is interesting isn't it if people will say things to me like you know um i just can't cope i don't i, I can't come and talk about it because if i do i'll just cry or i'll feel so sad or i'll feel so angry but what they're not realizing is all those emotions are already inside of you yeah, they're sitting yeah, there yeah. and you're putting a big lid on it yeah yeah so coming out all messed up yeah and actually you're kind of venting you're you're letting the steam off you're squeezing the spot whatever way you want to say it yeah. hurts yeah. in the moment but the relief is so huge yeah. yeah you're letting it out aren't you you're letting it out so 20 years is uh quite a quite a legacy at renew then tell me tell me how that started and where we are now and tell me a little bit about well, I... renew as as an organization okay so um for me throughout my training um Certain things really stuck with me and had profound effect, as I've said, but not least that notion that the lower down the socioeconomic scale you are, the more difficult it can be for you to, you know, we've all got financial issues at the moment, but if they're deep and profound and you're trying to cope with emotional difficulties, that's a massive challenge. So right from the get-go, I knew I wanted to work in a um, organization that had a social conscience. Um, I wanted to specifically work with those within the community who would otherwise not be able to access the type of service we provide. Um, Renew is BACP accredited. Now, to the casual listener, that won't mean anything. But what it is, is the British Association of Counseling and Psychotherapy have accredited us to say that we are providing a service that is of a professional level to yeah. clients. Yeah. You know, it's a very unregulated service. It's anybody, so interesting, isn't it? You know, the, any, the anybody can set up, yeah, as yeah, a counsel. deep and meaningful work you do. And there are boards and bodies that, but there's so many counsellors, psychotherapists, and coaches that don't need that 
you know, choose not to adapt that framework? How well, would you... cons- I, I would say if, if your counsellor or coach doesn't have that framework, have a conversation with them about their thinking around why. Because these regulating bodies are kind of grounded in a in a code of ethics. Now, as with anybody, there are pluses and minuses. But for us within Renew, we adhere to a code of ethics that is about putting the client first. That's fundamentally it. And looking at ourselves and going, am I in a position to be able to provide this support to this person for as long as they need it? You know, and I suppose that's what's really good about Renew is that we've really held on to the value of the work we do. So we, in spite of budgetary constraints and the financial cost of it, we recognize that some people need more than six sessions or 12 sessions. So we provide up to two years counseling. And when I started that's what I was doing. I was doing counselling. I then did some supervision training and I was supervising as well. And then I suppose because I'd worked in publishing before and in a sales and marketing office, and I'd I'd started out my career doing bookkeeping, believe it or not, uh, for a very small public interest um, publishing distribution centre in Ireland so I had this very office-based knowledge so they asked me to be a clinical coordinator and they invited me to interview for that so I interviewed for that and was successful and then several years later the funding ran out for that centre in East London so we had to close it and I was invited to apply to be manager at our centre in Basildon so 100% really happy to do that went there so I had was doing clinical work and managing and um absolutely loved it loved meeting the people there it was fantastic and then our previous CEO came to me and said look I'm thinking of retiring and I want you to apply and I really hadn't considered it and you know we'll probably talk later about self-perception etc but I never saw myself as doing something (laughs) like that but I do feel incredibly passionate about the work and Renew felt like I was coming home. Renew has such a high standard and believes so passionately in providing people with high level professional counselling. And I thought, well, that's a stretch for me. I've got to stretch to fulfil that, you know. And that's what I want to feel I want to feel when I'm working for a service that I'm being held to account that I'm being you know uh, expectations are there for me you know you know you know what's interesting Nikki Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean part part of the I'm doing loads of work at the minute just in my provisional life thinking about um uh, so I'm writing book number three at the minute, which is wow. what happens next. Yeah. What I tend to find is the um, my my clients reach a point where they've made a bit of money and they they're financially they've done okay, um, but they're just thinking about what's next in their life. And uh, we've built a framework that we're going to talk about in the book around helping people navigate the next stage in that that life. And you could argue that you know without the Sort of financial issues some of these things might be first world problems but yeah. they're relevant and personal to the individuals are going through it um 100%. and purpose and values 
is yes. right in the centre of that for all of us, isn't it? A hundred percent. And you, you, the, what I'm getting from this conversation is just like how much Renew just fits in with your desire to help and your passion to do better. Um, I've got one question, though. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I am a believer in this. And I don't know whether it's a... Um, that, I don't know whether it's just a personal thing. I like to be challenged a bit. I like that gap between what I, think I'm, <laughs> what I think I'm capable of yeah. um, and what I actually try. Um, how important do you think that is in our lives? Gosh, thinking about it. Well, I think everybody's different, aren't they? So I'd like to be able to say for someone like me, perhaps, and someone like you, I think it enlivens us. It keeps us young. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm aware. Who do I think I am in my 50s going for a job as CEO for a charity? And that's a responsibility. But in a sense, what it does is it pushes me forward. And I need that itch yeah. scratched. Yeah. And I guess what I'd say to you, Chris, is if that is an itch, you have got to scratch it. Interesting. Very, very yeah. interesting. Um. Talk to me about perception then. So I think, you know, and, and, and we, we've touched on, you know, perceptions of what our parents thought and what yeah. we think about certain things. Do you think the conversation about counselling and mental health and getting help in general has changed over the years? And if so, how? So thinking about that, I think 100%. You know, my dad died, like I said, when I was incredibly young. And I remember my mom saying, my aunt said, do you think you need to go and speak to somebody? And my mom's response was, I know what's wrong with me. Why would I need to do that? Right. So there was a sense back then of it not being any use or help to her at all. And I think the wider perception in the wider community was, was what would you want to go into a room and lie on a couch while somebody sat there just saying nothing. So I like to think that people have a much um, more open perception and see it as a much more viable option. Yeah. I mean, I could start throwing statistics at you now, which I won't do, about mental health and about how many people are impact, impacted by it. Yeah. Um, so... I think for more people, it is a viable option, but for some, it's still something that's quite frightening and scary. What's yeah. your perception of it? I should have asked you that in the beginning, shouldn't I? Tell me what uh, your perception is of it. Uh, it's really, it's a, such a good question. And um, I knew speaking to you that you'd um, you'd be as curious as me, and I should, yeah. have, I should have prepared for this, and I haven't. Um, <laughs> well, hold on one second. Let me just ask you to think to yourself, okay, imagine the opportunity is coming up for you to go for a bit of counselling. What would be the feelings that would come up for you? Right question, right question. Um, so let, 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 let me frame it in one way, and then... Um, and, and, and then um, sort of tell you what thoughts uh, I, I've got on it. Um, my, me and my dad go on holiday every year. Right? And a couple of years ago, another, yeah, I've shared this on the podcast before, and I, I don't think he would. He, um, for the first time, and this is a man in his 70s now, um, he told me that um, he'd 
suffered from OCD for years Mm. and never, ever talked to anybody about it. Just never, ever talked to anybody about it. I've never had counselling, but I read a lot. I'm very introspective. I'm interested in psychology and um, I'm interested in how the mind works and changing my mindset. But if somebody offered me counselling, I really felt the need at that particular time to to, to do it. Uh, I, I don't think I'd have any fears about going along, um, and I'd see it as an opportunity to um, talk to somebody impartial about what I'm going through. That's the way that I'd see it. And do you have an expectation of how they would respond to that? What sense do you get about That's how a really they good feel? Question. My my expectation would be empathetically, but not judgmentally. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if you'd ask my dad, he'd tell you something completely different. So same as my mom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so, how did you feel then when you when you heard he'd had OCD all those years and didn't feel able to do anything about it? I, I wished he would have. I I mean, I wished he would have told somebody. Mm. Um. Uh. Um, and I think my feeling around it was um, I wish the culture at the time, and I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not externalising blame because, you know, but the culture at the time would have been different enough to say, well, actually, I really, I really need help. I think, you know, we've talked about this, talked about in the podcast before, the shift in terms of turning around and going, you know, mental health is a subject that we need to be open and honest about and exploring a bit more depth and it, it's really interesting so i am i am i am a natural optimist uh i have had to build resilience over the years i'm not i'm, I'm not always particularly resilient but i've had to build resilience over the years um uh but i go through challenges n- mm. not to a point that not to a point where i felt i've needed external help I don't think I'd be embarrassed about it. Um, and but talking about my dad and talking to friends who have, who have suffered, um, uh, I, I think I'm, I'm glad we can have more open and honest conversations now than um, the, the, than we had then. Uh, and, and 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 I think my perception, if I felt that I needed help, would be. I wouldn't be embarrassed to take it or talk about it. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think I'd be happy to to get the support when it's needed. I think that's where I am with it. Yeah, and I think if we if we look at you know as a service, we provide counselling to children, young people, and adults. So lots of people come to us who will have held views like your dad and my mum, and. Um, the counsellors will work with them. And I suppose some of the barriers that they will try to address in the work are those barriers that are inside of you and the yeah. stigma around it all. I suppose we have yeah. to talk about that. And and what we notice then really is young people are much more open to engaging now than perhaps years ago. 
But the difficulty there is that they're hooking on to all of these pop psychology things on TikTok, which are maybe telling them they've got some diagnosis when actually they're, I don't want to minimize their experience. And certainly I, I would never do that, but it may not be something pathological. It might be. Well, something I think, I think there's a challenge with certainly, and you, you'll have more of an insight than me on this, Nikki, but I think the challenge with young people is the, perception they might get from social media about success and what exactly what it looks like um particularly with and i i wasn't i wasn't aware of this particular phenomenon uh, phenomenon um because i've got two girls but there's people out there who you know flash cars that sort of throwing money around you know all of it and as the and a toxic masculinity that goes with yeah. it which is um, I, I, so I, I have a conversation. Uh, you know, share a conversation I had um, had with you Saturday night. Funny enough, um, somebody said to me, "Oh, like, how did the book launch go?" I said, "Yeah, really good, fun, really enjoyed it. Um, people seemed to 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 enjoy it as well." Um, uh, and she went, oh, "You know what? I'm sorry I couldn't be there." Um, but do you think um, it's going to have an impact? I said, the bit that I was excited about is I got a few messages after the book launch from um, three teachers who were in the room. Wow. Who said, um, I'm going to share the book at school. And she, she gave me a look and I said, are you right? She went, but Chris, the challenge you've got is kindness cool? And I don't think it is as cool as that superficially, uh, like, it's not as cool for, to a nine-year-old boy as a Lamborghini, is it? Do you know what I mean? It's that that challenge. Yeah, I suppose developmentally you're talking about a time in a child's life where what their friends, you know, part of self-esteem is is a sense of belonging. Yeah. And for children and young people, it's you want to belong to your tribe, don't you? And um, I believe I, I was watching Junior Bake Off last night and I was watching those children be so kind to each other. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, you know, in unfiltered moments when they're not watched within every child is such a great 100%. capacity for kindness. 100%. I think that we can't necessarily engage young people head to head, if you like, just, you know, yeah. standing up in a classroom and telling them how they should think and feel. 100%. We need to be able to connect with them emotionally. And I think, you know, You'll have felt it. I certainly feel it when you're working with somebody. Of course, they're exploring their pain and distress, but you're also connecting with their kindness, their love, their yeah. care. And it is such a wonderful feeling to sit with someone who is expressing that to you, even if it's through grief, because, yeah. you know, you know that they're attuned with themselves they're they're being fully authentic in that moment and that is such a lovely feeling especially I, um, for people yeah I, I i and again this is so i'm in my mid-40s now um i've had a hard life so that's the reason <laughs> i look this old listen i'm um, saying nothing i'm in my 50s <laughs> i am saying nothing um but you know what it, it's funny i think you know both professionally and personally 
through my 20s and 30s, um, I probably assumed that I needed to have all the answers. That's it. Um, and particularly since doing the podcast, I was 40, 39, 40 when we started the podcast. Um, and I think what I've realised, uh, probably a bit too late, but, you know, you know better late than never, um, is empathy and curiosity always wins. A hundred percent. So that was Nikki. She was a bit good, wasn't she? Yeah. Um, and we've got part two next week. Shall we do the legendary feature? It's the end. It's podcast. But the end is never truly the end because the end is always the beginning of something entirely new. That's the feature you, you're talking about. Which is joke of the week. Joke of the week. I got one. I planned. I prepped. I pre-prepared. Yeah, yeah, What does a fish say when it slams into a wall? Ouch. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, have a lovely remainder of the week, and we'll see you on the Kindness Project very soon. Bye. Bye.